so hi welcome to good noise podcast i'm shane i'm glory and we're here with neil from seymour glass and we're asking some questions today about their upcoming album roaring paper spring so congrats on that by the way how do you feel about the response <laughs> to the you. announcement so far uh so far like i haven't really shared too much in terms of the announcement i'm kind of waiting uh because mm-hmm. i got the pre-order going up on the 31st of mm-hmm. january and then uh, the album's going to drop on the 22nd of february so um but i'm hoping it's going to be good I've, I've uh paid for some advertising and i'm Ooh. trying to push it to some playlists and stuff so i'm hoping i get some some listens this time all right trying to trying to roll it out a little bit more strategically so, yeah yeah we'll see what happens with that but but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. This is this is a pretty pretty solid record, I think. Yeah, the album mm-hmm. was pretty good. It was Thank very you. yeah yeah it was Thank very you. good. I'm glad you guys liked it. Of course. Uh, is there any meaning behind the album title or cover art? Um. Well, interestingly enough, the I'll start with the cover art. So, mm-hmm. um, last November, so November of 2020, I was trying to. I guess that was two years ago. Mm-hmm. So like. Year and a <laughs> anyways half. november 2020 <laughs> i did like a series of uh like live streams on instagram mm-hmm. and the guy who did my art for graveyard gertie like one of my close friends his name's tony contini um he did uh he decided to do like a painting each time i played so like i would oh. play and then unbeknownst to me like he was painting and uh i did my first ep and then i did graveyard gertie and then i did a cover set and then i did the full album which was almost completely different at that time mm-hmm. um but as i was playing it like he painted the cover art and like he sh- we had a whole other idea for it and then he showed me that and i was like that's it dude so it, <laughs> yeah it was it was kind of weird it was one of those things where it's just like yeah it, it just kind of happened in a weird uh, way, but it, it came out really cool. So, uh, but I think just like uh, the, in terms of like what it means, I guess it's just kind of watching the world explode in front of you and mm-hmm. kind of trying to be at peace with that. Uh, Cause there's really not much you can do about it. You just kind of have to kind of give into it, but, uh, but yeah, I guess that's kind of it. But the, the, God, the title has a crazier meaning. So I'll try and, uh, I'll try and keep it short because right. <laughs> I could probably All right. forever. Uh, but uh, so let's see. I'd say like right after I did Gertie, I was looking through my note, my old notebooks. I keep all my old notebooks from like high school and college and stuff. And I was going through that. And um, I always do that when I'm like trying to find some kind of inspiration. And I found Roaring Paper Spring actually written on a page. Like I wrote it when I was in college sometime, I have no idea where the hell it came from. And, uh, I was just, I just stuck with me. And then, um, as I was writing, like I wrote the title track for the record, which is actually the first, first song to kind of come about. And, uh, everything just kind of fell into place around that. Um, and the whole writing process of the record was really just me trying to figure out like what it meant. Um, so, uh, if it's and it's come to mean a lot of different things so like at first it was like you know the creative process and like you know uh how that always the the line from the song is this roaring paper spring keeps me trembling in the dark and it was like so it's like this this constant need to express yourself and like the uh the struggle of creativity and trying to get all your thoughts out in a, in a meaningful way um so that's kind of how it started and then um as I've been listening back to the record, I realized that so there's 
there's an interesting theme of like duality on the songs, like the duality of life, which sounds really pretentious, but um, I'm, a, I'm an English teacher. So like, of course, like, that's, yeah. the, that's the stuff that I, I'm looking for. But um, and I think like the Roaring Paper Spring is kind of like the place between these dualities, like good and bad, like order and chaos, like um, it's just kind of like where we fall in between it and like our struggle to find our place in those things is, is the roaring paper spring. So I think, but the beauty of it though, I think is that it's such a vague concept that it can really mean whatever you want it to mean. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. So but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where that's, where that's from. I like that. Okay. Wow. Uh, so yeah. can you tell us a little about your writing process for this album? Oh man. Um, so man, I was in a pretty weird spot when this started. So like Gertie happened and I didn't really, not a lot really came of that. And I mean, listening back to that record, like I was in a, I was in a dark place. Like that's a dark EP. I was mm-hmm. like, um, and it's funny. Cause like, you know, talking to the people who did listen to it, they're like, I like the songs, but my God, man, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So uh, I wanted to try and write something a little bit more optimistic. Uh, and I think this record was just me kind of like working towards that. So uh, interestingly enough, like the first six tracks, it was originally going to be an EP because I mm. thought like, um, I didn't think I had it in me to write a full record. And, yeah. and I was like, well, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to be an artist that drops EPs and, and, you know, let it be that. But, um, as I was writing, uh, I got the first like five or six songs done. Um, my wife went to, on a trip to, to Paris and I was, I, I did like a retreat where I went and finished like the whole first half of the record. And then like, I played those songs for like six months and then more stuff started coming. And like, Mm -hmm. that was the other half of the record. So like, it's really interesting because there's this really kind of feeling of despair, I think, and kind of sadness and isolation through the first like six tracks. Mm -hmm. And then like tracks seven through 12, it really starts to get a lot more optimistic. But um, it it also has like a bookend. So like the process of living the first song, and the last song are like, I always plan on having those bookending it, which is kind of cool. But I think with the more optimistic songs on the second half of the record, it, it, it works a lot better. So um, but yeah, a lot of my writing process was just trial and error. I write a lot of poetry. Uh, so I, I write poems a lot and then I kind of pull pieces of lyrics out from there. And, um, yeah, I was just, it was just a lot of sitting alone in the basement, just, you know, trying things out, trying to see what works. Um, I think the last time I was on, uh, we talked about, I talked about the song Bats in the Belfry, which is the song with the bat. Yeah. (laughs) But that's, that's the third track on the record. But um, one of the other more interesting, I think writing things was uh, the song Missing You, which is a song that comes right after that. And that song was about, um, let's see, my wife going to Paris, which was a huge thing. Like we'd never been apart. My wife and I've been together for like, It'll be 18 years. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah, we started dating in high school mm-hmm. and we just kind of never spent a lot of time apart. So like uh, she went to Paris and that was like the first time we've been apart for a long time in our entire lives. And like mm-hmm. I wrote that song about like uh, just our relationship and, and you know, trying to say I miss you without saying I miss you mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. the idea of the song was. 
And originally I had like the end chorus, like throughout the song. So like after each verse, I had a chorus and like the song was almost six minutes long. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> like you cannot yeah. have like a six minute long song. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. So I went back and I like cut out all the choruses and that made the song 10 times better. So it's weird because there's no real chorus in that song, but at the same time, it doesn't feel odd without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was an that was an interesting uh thing and that really kind of pushed me to really kind of uh play with like structure and like the way the songs were put together and uh they made them a lot more diverse I think on this record. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you say like no one wants to hear a 6 minute song but like isn't there a 6 minute song on the album later on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> Like, what? Well, let, let me let me uh, let me say this. Like, nobody wants to hear six minute songs like sequentially. Okay. So, like, yeah. okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I made a more concentrated effort to be like, all right, I've I actually have singles on this record that are like three and a half minutes, and then I have I think two songs. I think uh, Hope and Time and Alabaster Blues are both like the longer tracks, but um, I don't think they're overwhelmingly long. I don't yeah. think they're like the songs were on Gertie where you're just like, God, is this thing ever going to end? <laughs> you know, but like, I think there's, there's enough to keep, keep people interested and, and, you know, unique. For sure. Uh, so you kind of partially stole my next question, but I'm just yeah. going to rephrase it for you. Yeah, for you it. already mentioned how you already put the opener and the closer where you wanted to put them, because as soon as you heard them, you're like, yes, that's where I want them. Yeah. So how did you go about rearranging the rest of the album? Um, well, it, it went through some some pretty various uh, stages. Um, I always knew I wanted those to open and close. Uh, and interestingly enough, like that was like after Roaring Paper Spring, that was the next thing that I wrote was the, the opener and the closer. And I mm-hmm. that was originally just like, um, I think it was originally like a chorus or something. I can't remember, but I was trying to write verses for it and it just never happened. And I was like, yeah, screw it. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to use what I have. And it came yeah. out pretty cool. Um, but I really tried to structure the songs so that uh, they went from this, this, this idea, this kind of like isolation to this uh, and sadness to this kind of like optimism, which comes at the end of the record. So it was very much about, creating a concept where everything went really gradually towards this logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I really wanted the concept of Roaring Paper Spring to be repeated throughout the record, which it's on the second track and then it comes back again on the seventh track and then it comes back again at the end of Alabaster Blues. Um, But the fun part of, of that too was like, uh, I wanted the end of the record to be almost like the reverse of the beginning of the record. So if you listen to it, like does the Roaring Paper Spring part, and then it goes to the Truman Capote quote, and then it goes right into um, the process of living, which is almost the opposite of how the record starts. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was kind of a fun little thing to play around with. Oh Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um, so- I thought about this a lot. <laughs> yeah, as you should. Yeah. Um, so you also kind of touched on this question, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. You're more than welcome to go more in depth. Yeah. Uh, where was your headspace at while you were writing this album? Oh, man. Um, well, that's a great question. I went, like I said, I started off pretty sad. Like there was, there was a lot of things I was like really kind of working through um, because I turned 30 midst like writing this record. And I was always really like, bummed out about getting older because I always felt like 
you know, once, especially as a, like an artist or a musician, like when I think about all my favorite bands and my favorite artists, like they all wrote their best work or presumably their best work, like at a young age. Oh. And I'm sitting here at, you know, 30 going like, man, <laughs> I really got nothing to show for all this time that I've put into, you know, my art. And also I was really kind of, uh, distraught with the fact that like you know uh I don't shouldn't say distraught but just a little bit melancholy about the fact that like my life has kind of become like what it is and that sounds really negative but um I guess just like being an adult and settling into having a job and just Mm -hmm. like the routine of life which is kind of what the process of living is about is just like that routine and like you know, how it's just, you realize that it's, it's not really going to be different. It's just, this is kind of your life. And, um, I was really kind of sad about that for a while. And, uh, as I, as I wrote this record and as I got more into the lyrics, I realized that so much of what I was writing about, um, so much of every other aspect of my life is what made me an artist and what made me like, so all of that stuff like influenced the things that I wrote about, like, you know, even, even like my students and the things that they've gone through and that the experiences that we've shared and, um, you know, the experiences that I've shared with my wife and my friends. And it was, it was more of, uh, towards the end of the record, it was more about embracing all these other aspects of my life rather than like kind of fighting against them and, you know, struggling to be an artist only. It was just kind of this recognition that all of that stuff is what makes up me as a person. Mm-hmm. And in order to be an artist, a good artist that like communicates something honestly, you almost have to embrace every every aspect of yourself and be able to kind of communicate that in a meaningful way. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was, it was a gradual kind of learning process throughout this record of, of kind of understanding that point. And I am in a much better headspace now. So that's, that's, good. that's been, that's been good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To yeah. kind of go back to what you said about being worried because you're, you're 30, you just recently <laughs> turned 30 and putting out this album worried like, Oh, I, sh-, you know, younger people put out better stuff or people think that, uh, Oh my God, I lost my train of thought, but basically thinking that, uh earlier work from artists now is usually said they're better work I think you should definitely discard that because Tyler the Creator like turned 30 a little bit ago and he just put out like one of his best records if you think his first record is his best thing when he was like 18 completely wrong Harry Styles is turning 30 soon he put out his best work like well guys two years ago but like if you think his first one direction album was his best thing completely wrong so (laughs) i think age definitely matures with your music and it usually gets better and better and better unless you're still trying to grasp onto stuff that you're making when you were younger and still trying to hold on to what made you big before i think i think you nailed it right there glory with that idea of uh just trying to hang on to the stuff Mm -hmm. uh, from when you were younger because like I mean, like the, the big influences that I had, I mean, I mean, you guys are, you guys are young, right? So Shane, what are you 19? Yeah, 19 now. 19. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm 33. So uh, when I was growing up, like it was the big drive-through records thing. So like uh, the starting line, say it like you mean it came out when I was in sixth grade, like Blink-182's Enema of the States um, and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, like Newfound Glories, uh, Sticks and Stones, like all of those records were very seminal records for me in like mm-hmm. the early 2000s, like pop punk boom. And then like, um, 
uh, say like around the 2010s, like uh, fireworks. Um, all I have to offer is my own confusion and like the mm-hmm. wonder years, the upsides, like all of those records. And I mean, I mean, the upsides was huge for me. I mean, as it was for most people, like the wonder years, the upsides, it's just, you know, monumental album in -hmm. terms of like talking about different things lyrically and uh, things like that. And I just felt like, um, I don't know, there's just an immediacy. There's like a, there's an urgency in that record. And in all of those records, I think that I was worried that I wouldn't be able to capture in my own stuff. Mm -hmm. I was always kind of nervous about that. Like, um, will I be able to, to have that, that emotional uh, weight in my record um, mm-hmm. that I, that all these other great artists have. And that was something I was always concerned about. I never wanted my, my record to sound like, oh, this is just a, you know, a bunch of songs all kind mm-hmm. of put together. I'm big on like concepts mm-hmm. and things like that. And I really wanted this record to have that, that feeling. For sure. So, but yeah, you, you absolutely nailed it. I think it was kind of letting go of that idea that, um, you know, younger artists always create their best work and like recognizing that it's, it's about growth and it's mm-hmm. about maturity and it's about, you know, not holding too tightly to, to those things that you think make you a good artist. And it was more about like, you know, just embracing everything and, and, you know, pulling in different influences. So yeah, like, sure. oddly, oddly enough, like one of my, one of the records I listened to the most while making this album was uh, Sam Cooke's live at the Harlem Square Club, which mm-hmm. is like, probably in my opinion, one of, one of the best live records of all time. Um, and it's like, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's just an incredible record, but I think the energy from that was something I wanted to capture. So I think that's why it was, was kind of a big influence, but like that and like Bob Dylan, and it wasn't just so much about like pop punk anymore. It was about kind of embracing different styles, especially exactly. towards the, the end of writing this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Uh, so how do you recommend your fans to listen to this album for the first time? Should they play it in the car with friends, in the dark with headphones on? Should they bless at the gym? What do you personally recommend? Oh, man. I don't know if you want to listen to this one at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I think all albums should be listened to like with headphones. Um, and I would love for people to listen to this from start to finish. I think... Uh, I really tried to make this make a record that you can listen to from beginning to end without wanting to skip a track. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly think I kind of succeeded in that. Um, so I really hope that people are able to uh, listen to it from start to finish first and then kind of go back and pull out the songs that they they love. And uh, I also think this is a this is a record that uh, with repeated listens, I think you can pull out different things. Um, like I said, I put like so much thought into every single line to every single lyric um and i was i was changing things and adding things like right up to the end too so mm-hmm. i mean i really i really want this to be something that you can listen to repeatedly and kind of keep pulling things out of it because that's what all my favorite records are like you know you can constantly re-listen and be like i never realized that was what he meant there or mm-hmm. what she meant there or you know didn't pick up on a, a, a you know a drum beat or something weird yeah. But yeah, that's that's how I'd recommend it. All right. Perfect. Uh, so this question should be super, super quick. Off the top of your head, I want you to describe okay. this album for new listeners in three words, no more, no less. Mm-hmm. Order and chaos. Okay. Oh. Very fast. That was perfect. <laughs> wow. Okay. 
I think we Great. did that one quick last time too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most I would likely. Nothing less from the English teacher. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, is there a certain feeling or emotion you want your listeners to have while going through this record? Uh, definitely uh, hope. Hmm. I think um, because this. I mean, this was. I might be getting a little political here, but like this was written amidst the the Trump years, which I think added to kind of like my despair Mm -hmm. and and malaise while I write, while, you know, writing and uh, just kind of like being a teacher during the Trump years and kind of seeing the, the impact of, you know, that rhetoric and that, that language and like the things that were happening in our world and the effect that that had on the youth um, kind of moving forward and I know just like witnessing these terrible things that you could really do nothing to stop and it was always kind of like about looking for hope in that darkest possible place and I think yeah I think that's what I really want people to get out of it especially is that that there's still hope like regardless of what is happening um, sometimes you have to turn off the world and you really kind of have to focus on yourself and realize that, you know, a lot of that comes from within, like that, that desire for hope and that desire for things to get better. And uh, you can't necessarily change what's going on in the world, but you can change yourself and the way that you approach things and the way that you uh, talk about things with other people. And um, I I think, yeah, so definitely hope. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this question, picture this, you're on tour, you're at a gas station for a rest stop, uh, you're going in, what's your snack of choice? Oh man. Oh, let's see. I would probably get a Mountain Dew fruit punch Kickstarter and some Buffalo blue cheese combos. Okay. <laughs> and I was You're just... brave with those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that would probably be it, I think. And I would just like to say that in the van, you're bumping Limp Biscuit on tour. You're wearing uncomfortable shoes every single yes. night. Mm-hmm. I meant to say that in the question, but defaulted to, <laughs> like, I had it planned in my head, and I just defaulted oh, to what good. I usually say. So I had yeah. to clarify. It's all good, man. Yes. Okay. I'll definitely bump in Limp Biscuit, man. I have not listened to their new record yet. You have to do it. Don't. I, no, it's bad. No, 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 no. It's bad. It's great. It's, it's bad. Great. I mean, I don't like Limp Bizkit, to be fair, so I'm okay. probably the worst person. Okay. I'm the best person to ask, and it's a great album. Okay. Can, yeah. can I tell a Limp Bizkit story real quick? Yes. Please. Okay. So I was in sixth grade, and I was I was playing basketball at that time because I thought I could play basketball. <laughs> we all, go we all have those okay. phases. <laughs> we right? all go that phase, but man, it was, it was bad. But I, uh, in the gym, one of the older kids, like one of the eighth graders brought in chocolate starfish and was playing it on the, on the CD player. And like sixth grade me just fell in love with it. Cause I was just like, this is insanely cool. And, you know, and as, as sixth graders do, you like the worst possible music. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. I asked my dad if we could go to the CD store back when there were CD stores. And I was like, let's, you know, I want to get this record. And he's like, all right. So he takes me, takes me to get it. And we go in and I'm super stoked and we buy it and, and we're on our way home. And I put it in the CD player in the car oh, no. and 
I think I think you might have told the story on the timeline before, or multiple people Did have I? this story. But please keep yeah. going. Well, I'm telling yeah, it again because it was, again, yeah. it was mm-hmm. insane. So like my so like we put on rolling and we get to the part and he's like, "Where the fuck you at, punk?" And like that whole part and like my dad just like what like turned around <laughs> like eject turn the car around back to the record store and like oh yeah we returned it and then like I spent like months trying to find somebody who had it who could burn it for me so that I could have it but my parents were like uh, like super upset that I was listening to such vulgar music but yeah um, that that album as terrible as it is holds a very special place in my that, heart that album is such a life-changing record like oh first time God. i heard it like it just clicked for me i'm like i'm olympus could stand now but i'm shocked yeah. that hot dog didn't do it for him where he says oh like well, fuck 46 I'm, times or i got whatever. lucky i got lucky i skipped that track okay. <laughs> oh you knew <laughs> i had never listened to the whole thing before so i had no idea what was even on it and uh yeah thankfully i skipped that one because yeah he might have broke it in he half really upset. But, yeah. oh my god man that was oh, that was crazy mm-hmm. that was crazy but yeah i always i mean as terrible as they are i always kind of <laughs> really like limp biscuit because they're bad they're almost like an ironic band like yeah. love them because they're bad mm-hmm. but yeah I am going to listen to their new record though, and I'll have to get back to you. You definitely <laughs> have to listen to the new please. record, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And Gloria, finish it. Was, oh, <laughs> mm, wow. I think it was Eric from Heart Attack Man who had a similar story to okay. that. I might be wrong though. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're, we had, like yeah. half our conversation with him was. Um, just talking about Limp Biscuit because I was like, mm-hmm. "You like Limp Biscuit?" He's like, "Hell yeah!" And that Hell, was what we yeah. talked about. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, everybody from my generation, I think, likes Limp Biscuit. You just, you almost have to. Yeah, you almost have to. It's, it's a given. It's funny though. Like my, like I love like you know, Chocolate Starfish, Significant Other. Those are really fun records. And then like for some reason, like my wife really likes their next record. Results may vary. Because oh. <laughs> I'm like, nobody likes that no. record. And no. she's like, that's their best one. I'm like, you Whoa. are crazy. You're deaf. You are crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know where that came from, yeah. but she loves that. Record. Oh my God. <sighs> it's bizarre. But, I- uh, Oh, speaking of speaking of records, I have to hear your argument for why Fallout Boys uh, American <laughs> was an American Psycho is is the greatest Fallout. This Boy is record. Glory, Glory. You take that away, okay, Glory. I, I gotta okay. hear your argument because I'm like, I saw that and I was like, no, bad take, <laughs> bad know, take. A lot of a lot of people had that reaction as well, but I also had a lot of uh, p- positive feedback. Supporters. Okay, <laughs> so a lot of people who were like, yeah, so. Okay. I'm not alone on this. Okay. Uh, I like the record because I don't know all their other stuff. Just kind of like everything before save rock and roll pre hiatus kind of just globs oh. together. And like what? one thing, Bad it's all take. just kind of mush. It's all just Uh-oh. kind of gray. Oh um, no. I don't know, but everything past everything post hiatus, I just really oh. like because it feels like they came back with more vibrant sound that and they just crazy. weren't scared to, to kind of, explore different sounds shane stop they're, making that face explore, to me they, they explore new sounds and then they they make awful records while exploring those new sounds you have you literally like papa roach <laughs> live biscuit no offense I sorry roach. oh my god i i, I feel unsafe papa here. Roach. Feel oh, i'm getting i'm getting into papa roach to spite glory like this is the thing i, I started today so and i'm it's like so I, I like my brain is just a constant rotation of discography now like it's just playing oh a different God. song every couple of oh. minutes 
the but, first the first like record like I bought that I like fell in love with was like Papa Roach. Well, I say after Blink One Eighty Two's Enema of the State was Papa Roach's Infest. I freaking love that. Re- I still love that record. I mean, it's not my style of music at all anymore. But sometimes I'll pop yeah. it in and just have a have a blast with it. And then the, their second one uh, that came after that, Love Hate Tragedy, like nobody really liked that record, but I, I always dug that record too. It was weird, but still good fair enough but okay okay i gotta re- i have a rebuttal on the fallout boy thing here because <laughs> wow yeah it's a, it's okay. a brave take um, i know awful wow take. yeah that's a brave well it's fascinating too because like again we come from totally different generations i mean mm-hmm. i remember listening to take this to your grave on the bus like somebody burn it for me and i remember see listening i that, love like, that one i love oh that my album. god like yeah. tell that mick like that first song is just like it's uh it's incredible it's and a perfect I- record I would agree. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I think all of their records, their first four records are perfect records, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I almost feel that way for the exact same way that you feel about their newer stuff is I feel mm-hmm. like they were always kind of pushing these boundaries. Um, like they had that great pop punk record. And then like uh, from under the cork tree was really cool. Cause they were playing with like pop sounds mm-hmm. and then they just kept going with that. And then like my favorite and I got it out so I could hold it up. <laughs> No, that's my least favorite. That's my partner's favorite. The best Fallout Boy record. Oh, I know that's your, that's your least. I hate favorite. it. I hate it so much. You what do you, what you have against that I, album? It's just so boring. I just, oh my God. I just, like I don't Mania. get it. I don't get. I love Mania. I just. Okay, here's why I love this record, and Please. it's probably a lot of it's tied to nostalgia too. Like this was the time when like I was in my band and we were starting to really kind of find our sound Mm -hmm. and like this, I learned to sing to this record. So like I put this in my car and I'd sing like every song and like, I mean, I think you can still kind of hear the Patrick Stump influences in my vocals a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But at that time, I mean, I was like, I said, I tried, I was trying to sound exactly like Patrick Stump. (laughs) Yeah. So, but like, God, what are the what are the tracks on here? Like, exactly. Uh, See, you can't even remember them. Oh no, no, no! I remember them. I was ah. just gonna remember the names. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Afterlife of the Party is probably my favorite Fall Out Boy song. Mm-hmm. That I'm a mm-hmm. stitch away from making it. Like that song, just the way it builds to that crescendo at the end, and like the way he holds out those notes is just insane. And then like the Carpal Tunnel of Love, the song right after that. I feel like the end of that record the is really, half, really yes. cool and like heavy and strange. And I don't know. I just, I think that was their, I think that was their best, honestly. Folia Do was cool. And there's a couple mm-hmm. tracks. Like, I don't really like the one. I think it's W-A-M-S, I think is the track. And oh. Like, Little Wayne, like, <laughs> I was not into that. But like, oh my God, $20 Nosebleed is amazing. It's a banger. And, like, the whole first half of that record is incredible but yeah this solid solid please give it another listen <laughs> don't don't write it off yet okay i'll i'll listen one more time neil okay. you're much nicer I, I'll, about I'll that give, than i would be well i'll give i'll give the uh american psycho one a listen it's so like, it's it's so good to be it's... honest i after save rock and roll i kind of dropped off the fallout boy train so i oh didn't oh my god because I was just kind of like, I don't know, that record didn't do it for me. It was just, it was weird. I was so excited too, because like when they broke up, like I was devastated just because yeah. they were just such a huge influence. And uh, 
and they were coming back and I was super stoked. And like, they hadn't released my songs, Know What You Did in the Dark yet. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, just waiting for that song to come out and like sitting there and it came out and uh, I watched the video for it and I got done watching it. And I was like, I should like this, but I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why. Yeah. But I think they're just, I think they're just writing uh, almost for like a different generation now, which is cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I get that and I respect that. I mean, my, my time with fallout boy has ended and yours yours is beginning so that's that's a positive thing but yeah i don't know i just i had to i had to know your take on that because i saw that and i was like oh my god (laughs) i don't (laughs) even know i don't even know how to respond to this yeah a lot of people are still mad at me about that and now just don't take my my uh uh hot takes seriously because of all my fallout boy takes Keep so up the hot takes. Thank you. Don't, please don't. I don't back <laughs> any of them. <laughs> but, I love it. I love it. Seriously, but, I, I really do. Since you like brought up my songs, uh, know what they you did in the dark or ever. Fuck that. Like it's a great, <laughs> it's a great pop song. But like yeah. honestly, when like you compare it to the rest of their discography and like all their earlier <laughs> stuff, it's like it's a mediocre Fall Out Boy song at best. And that's like agree. most of the the songs that they have coming out now. Great pop songs, agree. but not great fallout boy yeah. songs and i think they're i think they're writing for a different purpose now i mean they're very much writing songs to be on the radio mm-hmm. uh they're very much writing songs which i think they always did they just had in my opinion a little bit more integrity with like the earlier stuff in terms of sticking to uh the sound of the time like the scene and like the pop punk scene mm-hmm. they're always playing on that sound and now i think they're just like doing variations of like you know different pop sounds which okay but man i'm i miss i miss early fallout boy i really do that's fair <laughs> those records are so good that's right so do you just like not like mania i don't know is that what songs are on mania that's that's the newest one yeah that's the it's the purple one um i don't think i've listened to a lot of it so maybe i'll have to check it out like I said, I fell off the Fall Out Boy train pretty hard after after Save Rock and Roll. Like I bought it, I bought the because they re- they released it weird too. Like they did the vinyl on like two ten inches. It's like a double ten inch record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's strange. Um, but I remember getting it and listening to it and just being like, "Yeah, this just isn't where I am anymore." <laughs> yeah. I did like the last track. I did like Save Rock and Roll, the last song with uh, Elton John, but probably just because they had Elton John come in and sing on that, and I thought that was really rad. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, so yeah. I'll listen to the one with the sheep on the front. Yeah. If yeah. you listen to American Beauty, American Psycho, I will. I promise. Okay. All right. I'll I'll, I'll let you know how I feel about it if if you let me know how you feel about it. Okay. So once after you get um, done with uh, thanks for the memories, because that's honestly probably my least favorite song on that record. Like the whole end of that record, just you could skip genius. the slow song too. Okay. Fuck Golden. Oh, dude, I love Golden. <laughs> oh no, dude, that was no. like the only song I liked off of it too. <laughs> Fuck that dude. song. <laughs> I, I still sing that song, like doing vocal warm ups and stuff. That's like my go to. <laughs> Fair enough. Slow so songs just aren't my jam. So no, oh, I yeah, get it. Right. I get it. I understand. It's cool. Well, you, what was your, I listened to your guys' um, year-end one with your favorite records, yeah. uh, and Shane, you actually inspired me to go listen to uh, Slipknot's uh, Chapel Town Rag again, because mm-hmm. I listened to it when it first came out, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty good, and then I went back and listened to it again uh, before I hopped on with you guys, and I was like, this song is awesome, mm-hmm. <laughs> and thank God, because 
again, Slipknot, I fell off hard after uh, Iowa. I loved Iowa. And then they did volume three and I was kind of like, yeah, eh, it's okay. And then I tried every album since then and haven't really dug them. But man, Chapel Town Rag is a banger. They've definitely found their footing again. Although I love all yeah. the records after uh, volume three. I can't get into volume three at all. But the, the albums after that are some of my favorites. But they've definitely oh, found yeah. their footing again with that uh, with the new single. I'm excited for the new album chapter, whenever it comes out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm awesome. looking forward to that. Sure. Yeah. So um, we I'm hit all the points in your shift. tweet now. Exactly. Yeah, we did. There you go. Did we? Did we hit them all? Yeah. I, yeah. I think so. Oh man, that's awesome. Okay, sweet. Perfect. Um, so I'm gonna shift back to the questions now. I I used to have a segue for this, but we kind of, you know, we're not talking about food anymore. So on the topic okay. of food, if sure. the project was a dish, what dish would the project be? Mm. When you guys were, I listened to your uh interview with St. Judas, and I thought about oh, this. St. Judas this track i love that dude too. Mm-hmm. he's like the nicest guy he's ever. so nice right oh, yeah God. yeah like i uh i not to sidetrack this question i will get back to it but okay. um like i started talking to him like i think shortly before we started talking we did our last interview and like 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 i have his phone number now like we text all the time Aww. it's like i've never met love the that. guy we mm-hmm. talk all the time nice dude um but anyways the dish um i'm gonna go with a burrito because you don't necessarily know what's inside but once you get in there it's always enjoyable no matter what's in it (laughs) all right as long as you don't get hot sauce i respect that uh so for the last couple questions we're going to shift completely away from music so if you could be one animal for the rest of your life what animal would you be and why Mm, i'm gonna go with a turtle okay why? I love turtles. They live forever, and they just get to like swim around all the time. Fair they enough. Stick shell. I'm down. I'm gonna be a turtle forever. All right. I respect that. All right. Thank uh, you. So, if you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, which song would it be, and why? <laughs> That's not a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> one song for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh god! I'm assuming it's either going to be Fall Out Boy or Limp Biscuit, but maybe that's just because we've been we've been talking about them for the past like maybe Papa Roach. I don't fucking know. Oh god, not Papa Roach. Oh man, one song for the rest of my life. Oh Mm. my god, that's tough. Um, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with just. Just so I'm not sitting here forever, I'm gonna go with Neutral Milk Hotels, Two Headed Boy Part Two, because that song like always, like no matter what age I am, like when I listen to it, that song is always just like it's me, right in the feels, as the kids say. But, oh, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, I go with that track. Yeah, great, great song. Uh, so for this last question, boom, you're on a desert island. You can bring one person, one movie, and one album. Who and what are you bringing? Oh man. Oh, I'd bring my wife because uh, she's mm-hmm. the coolest person in the world. I would bring, let's see, what would I bring? Movie-wise, I would probably bring Almost Famous because I love that movie and I think I could rewatch it like a million times. And then the last one was Album. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I don't even know, man. Um, let's see. What record would I bring? Probably, 
it would probably be a Wonder Years record, honestly. That's fair. I don't know if I can say which one. It would probably be the Upsides or Suburbia, I think. Mm -hmm. But it would, depending on the day, it would probably be one of those two records. All right. Are you going to that tour that they're doing for those records? I want to. I'm still a little, you know, weary about, you know, Mm -hmm. COVID and like going to shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been missed out on like so many good shows too. I, uh, like Greg Barnett from the Menzingers is doing like a solo tour and he's coming to Mahal's in Cleveland in oh. like March. And I was like, Oh, I want to go so bad. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if I want to go jump in a pit after, mm-hmm. after all of this. And uh, I'm, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready yet, but I'd love to go. Yeah. I, yeah. I would uh, probably die in the pit because <laughs> I'm so old now. <laughs> I saw I've seen the Wonder Years three times. I saw them in Zanesville uh, when they first came out with the upsides. My buddy and I went down to Zanesville and we saw them in like this tiny shop called the Shot Shot. And uh, like, I mean, it was this tiny show. Like they had this like plywood stage, like Soupy was sitting behind the, behind the stage, like behind an amp. And you had to like cross the stage to go to the bathroom. And I was like talking to him about the record. And he's like, he's like, yeah, if you listen to our, our, first album get stoked on it i was like yeah he's like he's like well don't buy it he's like it's terrible don't, <gasps> no don't buy that record and i was like okay and then i went home and bought two copies <laughs> there you go boom but yeah but i saw him there i saw him at glamour kills tour which was amazing um did they headline that oh and i saw him with four years strong which was sick damn oh, wow. back when four years strong came out with enemy of the world that was killer i went to work the next day and i couldn't walk because i was wow i was in the pit well yeah four years strong is serious raining people during four years strong Mm -hmm. oh my god oh my god it was crazy their shows were insane yeah their shows were nuts especially like at that time but Mm -hmm. oh my god wonder years are always great live i Mm -hmm. love that band so good Mm -hmm. i strongly suggest i know covid being safe yeah. me too honestly i'm going to my first show in march um oh, for yeah. like the past th- oh god three almost four years oh, yeah. um okay. so i'm very it? excited uh i'm seeing who's my first show tyler tyler the creator oh, on the fourth That's yeah awesome. um but That's i awesome. definitely recommend you see them because yeah. two of my favorite bands are actually support on there it's safe okay. face and origami angel and they're they're so good. Their music's so Dave good. Face is supporting Tyler the Creator. No, no. Um, oh, the Wonder the Years. Wonder years. <laughs> I was the like, Wonder oh, years. Wonder years. Oh, I didn't know that. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> no, that'd be sick. That'd I be wish. God, that'd be so good. Oh my but, god, I love Safe Face. I I need to go back. I haven't listened to your guys' interview with Tyler yet, but I want oh to go back. I was freaking out on the inside the entire time. Yeah, so like good. I. Okay, so uh, I'm sorry. I keep sidetracking it's all good. stories, but you're like, good. Um, see what's this three years ago four years i can't remember but i like got really into hot mulligan and they were touring with save face at the time and they played at this uh they played at this like small bar in columbus called double happiness and like i my sister and i went to it and it was awesome because they were like playing like like the evil dead and stuff at the bar like horror mm-hmm. movies and stuff mm-hmm. and there was like i don't know maybe 30 people there to see uh, hot mulligan yeah and uh save face and like they had i think they were still touring off their first ep uh, mm-hmm. folly and uh but my god they put on one hell of a show i mean it was like it was like they were playing to like a thousand people mm-hmm. and 
dude, the intensity was just unreal. God, yeah. that was a great show. Yeah, that was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And one side note, my sisters, like we parked in this parking garage and then like they locked it up. So we had to like call the police to come. Oh my God. The wow. garage so we can go home. Yeah. That's horrible. It yeah. It was good times, but yeah. 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 But I love Save Face. That Mercy was such a good record. Yes. Oh my God, that record is so good. And mm-hmm. uh, another kill for the highlight reel. I am still, still slowly getting into that. Oh my Fair god! Enough. Album of the year. Fair enough. So good. Yeah, that's yeah. Was that your album of the year? Was that your number? No. One? Well, it was. It was my number two. Tyler, the number creators, two. call me if you get Tyler, lost. That's what yeah. I thought because mm-hmm. I need to go back and listen to the Tyler record too. Oh my um, god, you won't regret it. So there's so much to listen to. We're giving you so much homework. You do. You have homework. Yeah. No. Well, I've been like I've been out of the loop on music. Like I was trying to do like a top ten list of like my favorite records that came out this past year, and like I think I only listened to ten new records because <laughs> <laughs> I was so like entrenched in the recording process, and I was like yeah. always listening to my demos and mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm I'm I need I need suggestions on what to listen to because I'm trying to get back into like buying and listening to music again mm-hmm. but, but yeah i'm so tyler the creator and i need to i need to listen to safe i have it mm-hmm. on vinyl but i have not uh sat down with it a lot yet so fair enough I will. Perfect. all right uh well that is all the questions we have for you today is there anything that you would like to plug um well new record comes out uh february 22nd i'll be releasing a music video for the first four singles um each week subsequently uh and hopefully um you can go check out my Bandcamp, uh seymourglass.bandcamp.com and i highly recommend if you like the record to purchase it there for for the first uh the first two weeks i'm going to be donating all the proceeds to no more dysphoria and snap um, so those two charities, I'm going to split the proceeds between those. And then the next two weeks, I'm going to be splitting the proceeds between, um, what is it, Rescue and Rain. So mm. for the, all the pre-order money is going to be donated to charity. So if you like the record, please go buy it on my Bandcamp and uh, listen to it and pre-order it on Spotify and all that cool, cool stuff. So, and check out the music videos because they're going to be fun, fun and weird. And I did them all myself with my friends so all right <laughs> those are the best kind <laughs> yeah that yeah they're pretty weird but also pretty fun all right so. oh well thank you for now this has been seymour glass and we have been the good noise podcast <laughs>